Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales, a podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. Thank you for joining our podcast today with Professor Stephen Heppel. Hi, I'm Sue Roberts. I'm head teacher at Ysgolfard Dyffryn in Llandio. And I'm an associate and currently on secondment with the National Academy for Educational Leadership. We were lucky enough to have Professor Stephen Heppel join us as a guest speaker at one of the Leadership Academy's recent Leadership Unlocked series of webinars. The Leadership Unlocked series proved very successful with an opportunity to listen to a guest speaker, followed by discussion in breakout rooms, concluding with a question and answer session. Stephen proved to be such an interesting and innovative speaker, we found ourselves running out of time to ask all the questions that came forward. So that brings us here. We felt it was very important, if Stephen was willing, to ask those further questions and engage in further discussions. Now, time to introduce. Stephen has worked with governments around the world, international agencies, schools and communities. He's been at the forefront of digital technology, in education for as long as there have been computers. He has a global reputation for innovative thinking and for identifying practices that make a difference. There we go, Stephen. How was that as an introduction? Yeah, it's really nice. My mum would have loved it. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> she was always proud of me, you know. <laughs> um, no, thanks for that. Um, I always blush a bit. I was uh, very lucky into all this area, but I've you know, been a professor for over 30 years now. And uh, we're at a very special time. Uh, we've got a golden, a golden generation of children who've got so many new experiences from COVID and beyond, you know. And we've got the most fabulous um, workforce of teachers who've been, I mean, just so resilient and so ingenious, you know, that really feels to me like we're at a, a fork in the road and we're off down the, the correct path. And it's going to be a pretty exciting decade. So... You know, the fact that we ran out of time to chat more, which is what we're going to do now, I think is indicative of how much there is to talk about and how much we're all involved in that chat. So I can't wait. I'm pr- proud to be here. That's great. Oh, thank you so much, Stephen. We've invited four school leaders from across Wales who attended our Leadership Unlocked webinar to come along to have a discussion with you. So I'm going to pass over to those school leaders now to introduce themselves <clears throat> Hi, Pnawnda, everybody. I'm Gail Shenton. I'm the head teacher at Ysgol Gynradd Gymraeg Castellnedd, which is in the centre of Neath, in Neath Catalbert. Hello, Pnawnda, and everybody. Did you have any grand? My name is Edward Jones, and I'm head teacher of Pencoid Comprehensive School uh, in Bridgend, comprehensive school of about uh, 900 learners, just on the uh, on the M4 uh, corridor. Good afternoon, Pau. My name is Rianne Hindley and I am from Ysgol Suchden in Sarah Flint in Flintshire. I am a Key Stage 2 lead. I also lead on digital learning, Cymraeg and have led on the curriculum. I have passed my MPQH on the most recent cycle, so I'm at the start of the next stage on my own personal journey of leadership. So it is an absolute pleasure to be speaking with you all today. That's great. Thank you, Rianne. And last but not least, Christine. Hi, Prinhanda. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Chris Jackson. I'm um, head teacher of Glaslook Primary School in Newport in uh, South Wales, which is in the uh, Education Achievement Service Consortia. I'm also privileged to be an associate with Padme. So thank you all for introducing yourselves. So it's time to get this conversation started, I think. I know personally, I'd really like to reflect back on a phrase you've used, uh, Stephen, that really resonated with me. And you said it a few times during the webinar, and that was learning has escaped. So I'd like to bring Christine back in, if that's okay, to explore things a little further. It's actually um, a lovely phrase, I I felt, Stephen. And and, and I think that, 
you know, if you just listen to that phrase on its own, sometimes you could think, is it is that a negative phrase or is that a positive phrase? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not quite sure. But actually, when we reflect back on our conversation from from uh, the sessions that we had, it's absolutely so positive. And I think that from my own perspective in reflecting on my own school, um, you know, there have been lots of dark times over the last few months in terms of COVID. But actually, if we take the positives from what has happened, you know, we've moved to, you know, virtual teaching and learning to digital platforms to remote learning, home learning, whatever you want to call it. And I think that the opportunities that that has afforded us to move away um, you know, it sort of coincided with the, the developments in curriculum reform and moving away from the straight jackets of the national curriculum as we move and develop um, our curriculum in, in Wales to really get that authentic learning uh, going. And I think we've seen learners thrive in a way that perhaps we haven't seen them thrive. And there's a lot of negativity around, I think, sometimes around maybe, you know, the, the COVID children maybe falling behind. But actually, for, for, for us in school, we've seen a lot of our children really thrive and really have um, a depth of learning and understanding and knowledge that has been outside of the constraints of, of, of a curriculum that sometimes we feel we are tied to. So I suppose it's, it's, it's looking forward, you know, how do we make sure that we don't slip back, isn't it? I'd be really interested to hear from everybody, and particularly uh, Stephen, how we keep hold of the good things that we've managed to develop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's. Um, I had a PhD student, Stano, is, um, who's uh, dead. He's dead now, but uh, he was in his well into his seventies when uh, he was my young student, you know, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, he'd been evacuated into Wales during the war as uh, as a kid. So for three years, you know, he was pulled out of East London, sent to Wales, lived on a farm, had the time of his life, actually. Did a lot of farming, did a bit of learning, you know. <laughs> and um, when he came back, you know, those experiences were so, so valuable. You know, he'd had to stand on his own feet. He'd had to look after his younger siblings. He'd had to, you know, find himself in an entirely different culture because, you know, Welsh um, uh, hill farms are very different to the east end of London, you know. And I think this lot have in a similar way, you know, have had an extraordinary um, journey as they've been, you know, locked in, locked out. You know, and you've, you've seen it. You, I mean, Christine was just going through it, really. But, I mean, you you know, the, the many things that they've done. My, I just came in at the weekend. My, uh, my seven-year-old was sitting on the table chatting to her 13-year-old cousin who was giving a little tutorial on how to how to get a bit further into Minecraft, you know, because <laughs> she wanted to beat the boys in her, in her phrase, you know. <laughs> and uh, just seeing them sitting there, she's on a, her iPad, her cousin is coming in on FaceTime on her phone, they're just picking up the technology, putting it down seamlessly, and the depth they've gone to, that, um, that same seven-year-old's gone into space, you know, she's being obsessed by space, so we're, you know, the place is full of rockets here at the moment, and You've been following on, on Twitter, you know, we've been making gunpowder and all sorts of heinous things, you know. And, you know, they've gone to places with the correct, with, you know, with the home and community learning they could never have been to with a curriculum. And I just don't believe they'll go back. I think the gene is out of the bottle. And I think if people try and sit them back in rows and say, okay, 25 minutes on Vikings and we move on, they, they, they've seen them, they've seen a different world, you know. And I think, the question is, where will they find that new learning opportunity? And, and of course, they'll find some of it online. They'll find some of it with other kids around the world. And learning was something that the, the village did, the family did, the community did. You did with your peers. You learned from your elders, and your elders learned from you. You know, And I think that sense of learning being embedded in the community is where it's escaped to. It's got out of the building, you know. And it's got into the community and it ain't going back any time. So I'm really excited by that. This is a golden generation after those kids were evacuated. 
they went on to be the Vivian Westwoods and the Colin Chapmans and the Paul McCartneys and the, you know, the extraordinarily ingenious creative engineers and artists and musicians that, you know, we built the United Kingdom on for 30 or 40 years. This generation will be that generation for the next 40 years. And they're, they're precious. We should treasure them, you know. It's a great time, isn't it? Just reflecting on, on, on that notion of uh, learning as escape, Stephen, and, and, you know, we're into this sort of second um, lockdown period now. And, and I feel as an experience, it's deeper. This is a deeper lockdown than the first one. And for me, schools are really sociable places and that social interaction that happens in the classroom between learners and each other, between learners, staff, teachers, between learners and the senior leadership team. And I will say as a head teacher, I'm really missing seeing mm-hmm. learners about the place. And, I, and I've, I've also got a daughter in year 11 in, in, a, in a Welsh medium school as well. And we sort of had a conversation this week about that sense of usness, the sense of belonging to a school. And I, and I think we shouldn't underplay that. So I'm just wondering what it is that we can do. How do, how do we avoid that sense of isolation? And is, is there something in that interaction, in, in a sort of a new pedagogy for remote learning that would make sure that sense of usness remains and, and we still feel we're part of the same school? For sure, for sure there is. And, and I mean, we'd be remiss not to remind ourselves that for some kids, school's been a very lonely place. You know, the number of kids have been bullied and they've had other other issues with their confidence, their mental well-being and so on. So it's not been great. I mean, I love my time at school. I love my time teaching. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't wait for the holidays to end, get back, get back with the kids. And you know, we had such such fun, really, having such a delight in our learning. But that notion of usness is really important. That what do I belong to here? You know, I don't belong to the bricks and mortar. I belong to the community of, of learners. But that doesn't have to be just the school. I mean, if you... If you think about rugby for a minute and you know here's me helping advise learning for the the england um, rugby squad and having had a having had a, a a lab in christchurch in new zealand for for many years you know with um new zealand rugby too i mean a lot of rugby um, around the world takes place in the community not the school and uh, a lot of kids would tell you that their you know their allegiance their friendship their besties you know their um, their role models are all in and around the rugby club in the community rather than the school. So schools do this stuff really well. One of the things we were talking about, Stephen, um, was about, we had lots of discussions really, was about the breadth and depth of learning. And the indication was that breadth of learning takes place at school, whereas the depth of learning is more at home. Now, how does that work when families are in a more disadvantaged situation and perhaps don't have the resources to facilitate that deep learning. Yeah, I mean, for me, and, and you'll all have a view on this, I think, but I mean, for me, that works incredibly well because, I mean, all families have depth. They just think sometimes it's the wrong depth. You know, the, the skills, the, the artisan and craft skills that were, you know, a rich part of Welsh history don't have much place in the curriculum. But I'll tell you what, uh, you know, you, you learn an awful lot from, um, you know, your granddad when he's chopping up a bit of wood or you your grandmother when she's planing up a bit of wood for them. And I mean, you just learn from the people around you. And I think one of the nice things about COVID is kids have discovered there's a lot to learn outside of the curriculum. And parents think, oh, I don't know much about phonics or I can't do division anymore, but the stuff they do know. And there's probably more baking gone on in the last nine months in um, in British kitchens, you know, than, than I mean, my, my granddaughters are baking all the time, you know interesting because I recently had um, a parent who who emailed to say that um, you know uh, no disrespect but actually we're going to dip out of the learning that you're providing for the children at home and we're going to go down our own road but we're going to do this 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 and this that okay and it was like yeah that do you know what it has to fit in with your own circumstances at home and if it means that you know that your child is 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 actively engaged in doing something that they're really interested in and that's stimulating and exciting and is outside actually it's it's, you know then yeah that's fine so I think that it's about the here and now it's about really um, making sure that parents feel comfortable about what they're doing because I think very often we hear from some of our parents to say well you know we're not we're not we're not teachers, we're not trained teachers, we can't do this or we don't know how to teach that or we're not good at that well actually 
they're great. They're the ones who know their children best, actually. They're the ones who bring in their children up when they're not in school. So I think, again, it's about making sure that we give confidence to our parents as well and our our families to say there isn't a wrong there's no right there's no wrong you know as long as children are actively engaged in some type of you know every every experience is a learning opportunity yes i i completely agree and i feel that there is so much pressure that has materialized without it meaning to um on parents on education staff and even on the learners themselves that are worrying when they open up their um, online learning and they have those huge lists. And uh, something that, that we've been focusing on in school is possibility thinking instead of positivity thinking. So that's something that we've been trying to work on within school and introduce to the learners within the classroom. So instead of um, looking at positivity as if I get all of the lists, all of the jobs done on my list, then um, that's it. I've had a positive day. And it was my head teacher that actually introduced me to this. And I've been applying it every day in my school life and I have begun to do this unconsciously now. And it works for the staff and for the children as well. And it's instead of thinking, right, I can only have a positive day if I complete everything that I need to complete, it's looking at those individual possibilities instead and thinking that, yes, if I complete one possibility or two of those possibilities, then there's there's my positivity to try and reduce that overwhelming feeling of everything that's that's going on right now and really focusing on taking it one step at a time and ensuring that parents understand this. Every Everybody is, is in a different situation what is it same same storm different boat and and they, I think they need to know that it's okay to fit things around their lives in a way that is appropriate and functional for them yeah, perhaps especially because the um you know go back to computers for a second I mean computers are really good at um repetition they're really good at remembering they're really good at carrying out orders, you know, without making mistakes. They're really good at batch processing and they're going to do that better than we're ever going to do. So we've got a bunch of kids that can follow orders, batch process, do repetition, remember. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the future of unemployment right there. If you say what a computer's bad at, they're really bad at deep learning. They're really good at, um, they're really bad at um, curiosity. They're really bad at collaboration. They're really bad at ingenuity and creativity. So, you know, we want to be looking out for the places where kids are doing things that computers can't do because they'll complement each other really nicely. Yeah, I'm just interested in everything that you've talked about previously, to be honest with you, Stephen, and relating it back to experiences, isn't it, within the classroom and how we operate on a day-to-day basis? Because it, it has felt, hasn't it, sometimes that we've alienated our communities in the fact that we don't necessarily show a value to what they can provide and we're superficially looking for experiences we're actually we probably need to make more practicable efforts to make that happen um i was relating to your story about a go-kart you know and many years ago now i was fortunate enough to go to sweden on a visit a few years ago and to see the way that their children the younger children were in school with the older children They would mix as a community at lunch. If you saw your brother, you could go and sit with your brother who was 15 and have your lunch. Somebody from the community who worked in the health, for example, may well have been having their lunch in the hall at the same time. And you could go and ask them a question. And then when I came back, I remember being in a class and reading a story about a go-kart. A little boy didn't have one. Another one did. And that seemed unfair in itself. And we decided we would make go-karts. And the inclusivity of that by asking different agencies to come in and to step back as the practitioner and allow other people to get on with it and then race our go-karts through the middle of the town was a fantastic experience as a teacher. But I'd like to think that that's something that those children would hold on to in their future and encourage them to see value in things other than pen and paper. And I think that's what you're talking about, really, isn't it? It's about real experiences in the real world. No, absolutely is. 
and and also being, I think we've got to be brave in schools. And you're, yeah. you know, it took a bit of braveness to say let's build go cuts and race it down the high street, you know. But oh, it was Lord's offence, Stephen. It was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, schools have been a little nervous. I mean, I've been around technology and learning all my life, and you know, typically when new stuff appears. First of all, we pretend it's not there and then we realise it is and try and ban it. You know, I was, I'm of a generation that was only allowed calculators if they were the right calculator, you know. <laughs> and the generation before me would have been banned from using um, slide rules, you know, um, ballpoint pens or whatever. And, and um, you know, at the moment we've got this silly situation where huge numbers of our kids have got their own phones. They're pretty smart. And um, certainly over here in England, you know, our our not very inspiring education minister has sent out lots of laptops to kids um, so they can join in online learning. But actually, they'd have made the online learning fit in a you know, portrait screen rather than a landscape screen. He wouldn't have needed to send them out at all. And maybe it goes worth reflecting. We were chatting about TikTok um, before, before this. You know, I think for a lot of parents and pretty much all schools, you know, phones plus TikTok equal the work of the devil, you know. Oh, well, when we were on last time, we ended up, you introduced us really to the sea shanty singers on TikTok. And I went home, found them. And then I did my, obviously both my kids were already aware because I'm a dinosaur and they're not, isn't it? And then um, that led then on to have a discussion with my daughter and somebody, um, a creative young person in North Wales has then copied that idea related it directly to Welsh traditional sea shanties and then um, tried to start a movement where they reignite that aspect. And my daughter's on teaching practice and today she's teaching a lesson with TikTok as her spardin. Then I can't think of the English word for a spardin. What's a spardin, everybody else? A hook then, isn't it, you know, for her yeah. learning today, yeah. which would be within the curriculum. It would be looking at Welsh directly as a language task, but it brings in all those other things now with history and this, the tradition of singing and shanties and creativity, isn't it? Yeah, is there an opportunity then now then, Stephen, for us to free up the curriculum then? Because we're, we're looking to a curriculum for Wales and um, trying to get teachers to move away from what they've always sort of taught and, and just yeah. re sort of branding it or calling it something new. Well, uh, and I think as well, um, the, the one sense I've picked up this time is perhaps more of a demand from parents. They've They've understood that the teachers are now better equipped to deliver uh, remote learning. But perhaps there's quite an unhealthy sort of expectation that, that a good day is five live lessons delivered, mm. isn't it? Because it's, it's being able to move away from the screen and access that creativity and that more informal learning, I think pro pro probably provides more opportunities for that deeper learning than sticking to that sort of rigid delivery of a lesson. I love the irony that the, the parents who were two years ago complaining about excessive screen time, you know, and kids being now the ones who are crying out for six hours of continuous face-to-screen learning, which, it, you know, is pretty close to sort of pedagogic waterboarding, isn't it, really? I can't think yeah. of a better way to describe it. I mean, how do you build the space of it? It was really interesting because we've not been very good historically at doing the the learning that we pretended was important and you know my work here has been we've been looking at the physical environment looking at the temperature the co2 levels the humidity i mean i'm i'm sitting here now with the windows all shut and co2 running is 20 degrees which is quite a good temperature for learning 18 to 21 is your sweet spot co2 is 2600 in here which is way too high and um as we do i'm just going to open the window and ventilate the place a little bit and we know that if I can get the CO2 down to about a 1,000, I'm going to be sharper. You know, if I can get the light levels, at the moment I've got a, an LED light here. You can see how that whitens the light here. That pure white light is, is making me um, cleverer, you know, bluntly. Now, it seems to me if we've got stuff our kids need to learn for tests they need to do, the least we might do is help them to do it best they can. And typically we blame the kids when it doesn't go very well. It's never the kids. Mm. Uh, I can pretty much walk into any school and give you one and a half to three percent on any test in any exam anywhere just by changing the, the, the environment in the exam room. There's an equity issue there as well. Are the kids by the window with a bit of a draft are going to do better than the kids in the corner in the dark? You know, and you've given them a seating plan. So if there's stuff we've got to do, let's 
let's do it well. And that, and that buys us space to do the other stuff. And coming back to, to Edward's point as well around um, pedagogy and, and, and innovation and, 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 and some of the challenges around that sort of online synchronous learning, which, you know, you know, we, we do get a little bit of comparison around, you know, being compared one school against another. How many synchronous online learning sessions are you doing? And that's great because sometimes that keeps children occupied and, you know, but that's not always the best. And, you know, looking at the different types of learning. But I think really how how do we continue to communicate? communicate to our parents and and others um, around what pedagogy and innovation um, and really thinking outside the box and some of those examples that you've given are you know fantastic you know Um, and how we sort of you know we don't need to be doing that sort of and I'm going to use an old-fashioned term now which shows my age chalk and talk type session yeah, absolutely yeah. we don't need to be doing that we don't need for children to be you know sitting in rows and when we come and move from this time again holding on to all that's all that's good but really and picking really effective pedagogy and really holding on to innovation how, how, how do we ensure that that happens I mean, part of it is looking at the looking at the research, really. I mean, which is pretty unequivocal. Gosh, even the English Ofsted folk have now published a paper that says um, real time lessons are not all of what you need to be doing. And so we you know, we know that we need something else, and we know that the touch points really matter. Class all come together for a little plenary moment, or at the beginning of the day, say, so, right, this week, you know, castles we're going to be building. You know, everybody's going to build an element of a castle. You're going to do arrows, arrow slots, portcullis. We're all going to build at the end of the day. We'll put them all together, and then we'll see if we can assemble the photographs. Right, off you go. Or, you know, I was in a, in a reception class online lesson the other day. We just started off with uh, actually a glove puppet saying hello, and then uh, the kids were sent off to find green things, and they'll rush around the house and came back you know the you know the kids are in a house they're in a a flat they're in a you know we we, we can't we if we don't acknowledge that it's sort of cultural imperialism we're trying to pretend they're in the classroom when they're in the house just seems seems nonsense really what are the things that are in the house that they can find that are extra well you think Stephen that it's like an unintended consequence isn't it because uh, we are doing live lessons in our school and I'm probably quite untraditional usually in my pedagogy then and understanding but it's creating that balance isn't it because there are so many parents in this situation currently who are also tied to a screen for their own work commitments and there are some children who are so um supported not and i think all children all parents want to support their children but some are in a position where they're more able than others to do that currently and i think it's like it's a dilemma isn't it that's facing leaders and families and children to get that balance right. Yes, yes, it is. But I've I've looked at a lot of those um, online synchronous lessons, and an awful lot of them have a parent sitting at the elbow of the child because they're nervous of the child's behaviour being inappropriate, or they want to make sure that. I think parents are more tied to the children's learning with a synchronous lesson than they are with the asynchronous. There's no right or wrong. It's evolutionary. One of the things that we picked up on was some sort of life skill sessions. So we put like a grid of, you know, get your children to put the duvet cover on the duvet. Or, oh, nice. you know, it's things, you know, put the pillowcase on or lay the table for dinner or those sorts of things that actually are real sort of um, real life skills that perhaps we lose sight of when we're actually in a normal, inverted commas, situation. You're absolutely spot on. And then, of course, there's a massive number in science in all that as well. You know, what's the, before you put the duvet cover on, measure it, and um, <laughs> and then see if you can work out the diagonal and, and uh, you know, how many of those would you get on a rugby pitch. And you know, there's a load of stuff you can do with all that that is actually quite interesting. But I remember my own um, fairly rarefied um, grammar school education. Uh, most of the things that have used since then I mean, metalwork and woodwork, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've not used much of the geography. You know, I'm still passionate about poetry, but, um, you know, when it comes to handy stuff, I couldn't sail my boat without the woodwork and metalwork that I did. And, you know, so, you know, I think we've, I think we've over-specialised in schools to the exclusion mm. of the community. We need to look at what the community values 
and bring it on, bring it back in, you know. I think that we've developed quite a, a sense of ownership and trust within the classrooms as well. Um, staff have developed their confidence in taking calculated risks in order to develop innovation, having that knock-on effect of engaging those learners at home with what's around them while still maintaining that depth and developing the skills that they need to develop and I suppose I'm thinking into the future now about when all of this is over we are back to school it's maintaining that maintaining that sense of 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 trust and ownership over what we're doing because um our practitioners know their children know their classes and just making sure that that um continues on to be in a culture of of, of that ownership and engaging the children in in the learning around them yeah i love that i love the word agency and all that i mean it's um you know agencies giving the kids voice and vote you know and people often talk about learner voice but you know schools council too often i think is half a dozen kids that the other kids don't like very much talking about the toilets you know it's you know it should <laughs> it should be so much more you know it should be uh, we have we've been involved with a few things where we've asked kids to um to observe lessons and feedback there's a school in Beecham school up in the northeast I think they do a thing called instead where the kids do an Ofsted but the kids do it instead of Ofsted if you see what I mean you know, and, they, <laughs> and they're and they're pretty harsh and I remember one of the teachers in, in not in that school but another one who was she got great results she was so on top of her subject English head of English and she she felt pretty good about her teaching and yet the, the kids gave her a pretty poor score, bluntly. And she wanted to know why. And they said, well, you come, you come into the lesson and you you sit down on the desk at the front and you tell us loads of stuff. And it's absolutely fascinating and stuff we didn't know, but we never get a word in edgeways. And, um, you know, we, we want to be part of the lesson. And she was really shaken by that, you know, but she went off and, and reviewed it and said, yeah, you know, that's, that is what I do. And so, you know, pausing to let other people chip in, you know, which is what I'm not doing, <laughs> is, uh, you know, it's really, impo- it's really important. And it it changed us, seeing her own teaching through the eyes of the kids. So one thing we're not, I mean, the least you might ask your kids coming back is, you know, what's been good about being away? What have you missed? And what's, what, what, what are we doing wrong? What can we change, you know? So I just want to say that this idea, Stephen, of teacher agency is, uh, is I think, a really powerful one because as, as a profession in Wales, we've had to be really agile now in, in, in responding. I think we're very fortunate to have a national platform such as Hub yeah. has enabled yeah. us. And, and if anything, you know, the pandemic has moved us on to the sort of online environments of Google Classrooms, of, of, of Teams. Yeah. And uh, I've come across things, you know, Jamboard, Flipgrids. And and now you know, and, and people are investigating. How, how can I now offer sort of verbal feedback on a piece of work that's been submitted? Because surely is, is, is verbal feedback actually going to be more more sort of powerful? And then I'm hit then by a question from someone who says, "Well, you know, how how are you currently monitoring the quality of your online provision?" And I think at the moment, it's about trust and, and innovation. But the point I'd like to make is, is, isn't it sad where perhaps we've lost that intrinsic love of learning? And what does it say about a curriculum where we are worrying about the engagement and motivation of year 11, year 13 students? Because surely if our curriculum is one that they'd valued, we wouldn't have to be chasing them. No, I agree. Uh, and asking them to get. To, so, where, so where do we lost? And where, where do, how do we regain the ground now with our new curriculum where actually children see the intrinsic value of learning? Whether that would be in the classroom or, or online. Well, you've had some um, some pretty good um, ministers, and you've had some pretty insightful investments, you know, hub and beyond, and so on. And you looked again at your curriculum, and that's all been pretty sound. And you're small enough to be agile, so you know, don't don't think of anything as being finished. You know, everything is, you know, you it's only for this year. It's going to move on. It's going to move on. You know, as I said before, as Welsh rugby said. We've only got to be as good as last year. You know, you, you'd, you'd never win anything. You look at last year and say, how can we improve on that? What do we do that's new? Those are, you know, we, we evolved to do that. So we take it out to our peril, I, I, I think, you know. 
but um, it's going to be very competitive. Uh, make no mistake, you know, one of the things that's come out of COVID is that there are other ways to do this, and and they may prove to be very good. The um, the wealthier families in um, on the west coast of America at the moment do uh, they they buy into little what we'd call little bubbles. They have a different word for it, but you know, you 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 host you know eight or nine kids come to your house in the morning. They go maybe to Sue tomorrow and you know, onto um, me or whatever, you know. And we have a professional tutor who looks after those. You know, one tutor and eight kids gets to know them pretty well, knows their evolution and knows their progress. And um, that tutor isn't delivering the learning. They're managing and helping and supporting the learning. That The learning is delivered online. And I look at the quality of some of the materials on the Khan Academy or the BBC, some of the bite-sized stuff, not all of it. Some of it's dreadful. But, you know, we can we can pick the bits that are good because we're professionals, you know. And you can see a world where nobody sends a kid to school at all. Um, you know, they just go down the road to a friend's house. They dial into programs from ABC in Australia or Canada or wherever and pick up the best of their learning. You know, when we asked all those kids in Scotland, I think you'll remember from the webinar, um, how many days a week do you need to come to school to feel part of the community? And they said, hold your hands up and... That's five days, you know, and the average was two. That was the average response from all the children was two. And if they think if average is two, then plenty were saying one. And nobody said five. You know, so we're we're in a different world, don't kid yourself. And if we don't move the way that our professional instincts tell us is right, we won't be there. You know, they will go off in another direction. And so it really matters this, you know, what we're supposed to do is different to what we know is right. And we need to trust our professionalism and share it with each other and form a circle, you know. Yeah, for me, I think the way the profession has responded has been remarkable. and it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I agree, yeah. And, and I think if you look at the experience and we look at where we are now and some of the the dialogue I'm having with heads of department now, it's, it's, yeah. our dialect is different, you know, what, what, yeah. we to, what we're talking about, what we're talking about, you know, the, the quality, the, the texture, the discussion about online learning is, yeah. is just, is just a lifetime away from where we were yeah. um, sort of last March. In nine months, you know, in, yeah. in barely any time at all. So think what we could do in nine years. You know, wow. And the thing is, our, you know, we talk about um, the standard of the online learning. Well, the audience are the greatest judge of that, aren't they? And if the children don't turn up, it tells us exactly what the quality of our online provision is, isn't it? Especially with the older children, because they will vote with their feet. Yeah. And if we get it right, they'll attend. And if we don't, well, they won't engage, will they? Yeah, no, I believe that. Yeah. I think actually that the sector under biggest threat is there's private schools i think they're really at risk because they've they've dived into a commitment to full-time face you know online lessons that are you know there's a full-time table you start at nine you finish at three and that is the most easily um, replaced you know they are they are in real danger from that west coast model i was describing which is cheaper cheaper to give your kids two two high quality tutors to 10 kids and to pay the fee to go to private school so they're in real danger i think and they haven't seen the danger coming we're not i mean a big part of our world is equity a big part of our world is fairness and access and we've got to make sure we we treat that well and i think the the loss of of equity hasn't been not everybody having a laptop it's not everybody's home circumstances and backgrounds being shown to be valuable you know and i think that's the bit where we've got to make a big difference and that, that's quite interesting as well, Stephen, isn't it? Because I, I do, you know, we have, we're a Welsh medium primary school where the majority, nearly all of the parents don't speak Welsh at home. And that discussion around equity and the, and the transference of the ability to access the curriculum in the language that they use, that throws in another challenge, doesn't it? Because I think that would be one of the main motivators for me why we've we've provided quite a bit of live learning but the intention there was to ensure that equity for all of the children in relation to the use of the language and sustaining the language when they come back to school. And I think, you know, that discussion around equity is a big one, isn't it? In, especially in respect to the, a language, which is the language they learn in every day and sustaining yeah. parents' is, um, confidence, isn't it? Because and it, and it relates really to the traditions and the things that you're talking about that need to be transferred as well. 
I tell you right. what I really enjoyed as well is is are those surprising emails from staff. What I mean surprising, they've surprised how well remote learning has gone or how they've had some of the, yeah, some yeah. of the quality of the work. And I think that 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 aspect of creativity and and actually being surprised that some learners who perhaps haven't been thriving in school are finding this a, a, a better experience. Mm-hmm. So learning about about how important collaborative working still is, even though you're you're in your own house, there's still ways of of, of collaborating and supporting each other. And um, and I suppose the one thing we, we we talk about remote learning, and I suppose Stephen, do you have a view on? Will we maintain that blended aspect? Will we still be using Google Classrooms? Will we still be using Teams? Will we still be using Hub when the learners return? Is this now is this now part of our repertoire, part of the toolkit? Yeah, it's interesting that we're short of a vocabulary for it, and um, a lot of the world talks about hybrid learning, which is a bit of a bit of everything. You know, we talk about blended, which used to mean something else. I talk about modeless mm-hmm. when it really doesn't matter whether you're in school or online; you're doing the mm-hmm. same thing roughly but if that's going to be the situation then there's a lot less dick turpin teaching you know stand and deliver and then a lot uh-huh. more inspirational stuff you know of here's your but we, you can't get away from knowledge i mean kids need deep knowledge to do learning this is not a this is not a key to sort of soften things up i mean you need if you're going to go for depth and collaboration and project-based learning you need to know your stuff and uh, teachers are there to help kids can't self-discover all that or if they can it's not effective but Having got the knowledge and using it and applying it is really important. And some of the knowledge has come from the community, some from the families. And so yeah, I think we've got to get back to that, that agency of the kids to report on how good learning can be, an agency of the teachers to have to be trusted as professionals to build better learning and an agency for the community to say, you know, this stuff really matters to us. And uh, that's important going forward it really is this is such an interesting discussion Stephen I think what is really coming across is the importance of well-being for all our learners and I know you feel the school environment is really important I know you've talked about that in detail at our webinar yeah I was just I was just clicking through the <laughs> co2 levels to see what it's oh, gone yeah. down to is 2600 was it when we started it's 401 now so that the oh, level wow. in the room is the same as the level on the planet you know so wow. Some of some of making our bodies well is also some of making our brains well, of course, you know, and um, we neglect sure. them both. I think we've worked really, really hard to um, ensure that our families have digital devices. There's um, the opportunity, quality of opportunity in terms of accessing learning. But I think one of the things that is more difficult to control is those individual learning environments that children are now in in because they were learning within their own homes. And some children are finding, obviously, that they're learning maybe in a one-bedroom flat with no outdoor space, um, where there's very little light. And you've talked at length about light and space and CO2 and all all of these things. So how how do we solve that or or get that right or support in or or, or give support for our parents and families to um, to help? Um, in these in these areas well, in, a, in, a, in a way I mean asking the question is half the battle because what we've said before I think often and I've heard this from too many politicians not to be honest from yours are pretty good but from around the world you know the the view that the kids home environment is so bad the quicker we get them out of it and back into school the better mm. which seems to me to be both insulting and, and foolish you know however you know a lot of what we know about how to make that home space better for learning, you know, acknowledges the fact that there are lots of single parents, but but there's a lot of that. There's real poverty. There are people wondering there are mums giving up their food to feed their children. So what do we do to make that better that's cost-effective? You know, it's looking at things like we know that, you know, turning on the subtitles full-time has a huge impact on children's literacy. So, you know, if we if we can buy Netflix for them all, and Netflix has got really good subtitling, and say, well, we'll give you Netflix on the condition you leave the subtitles on deal. Okay, you know, and we can look at the light levels and look at the other things. How little do we have to do to impact on that home space so that the children have advantage from being at home rather than disadvantage? And my belief is it's it's relatively cheap compared to the cost of intervention later on. I was fascinated, Stephen, this week I was listening to a lady on the radio, a young mum, 
and she had, say, two school-aged children and a little baby. And she was saying how much calmer her home environment was now that she wasn't rushing one child to reception for the whole day, another to nursery for half a day, whilst carting her little baby around with her everywhere. She And she was talking about the nurturing aspect and the emphasis on nurturing and how she felt this climate had allowed her then to bring a calmness back to her family because it, they weren't rushing around everywhere and they could just nestle down. And I thought, wow, the privilege of it would been a real privilege to have that time with her family and to just shut the door and nestle down. I know it's not like that for everybody, but I did think to myself, wow, to have that opportunity, isn't it? But, you know, we've touched upon that idea, haven't we, about, about you know, the lost learning, the COVID kids, uh, this COVID generation, and, and, and seeing that as some sort of deficit model. And, and certainly there are times that I, that I think that sometimes I, re, I really enjoyed time with, yeah. with, with, with my own children. Yeah. And, and I've also enjoyed sort of interacting with, with, with children in school in a sort of a different way. And I got a really tired old school uh, Stephen, sort of built in 1973, and I'm thinking, you know, as we move forward and, and we we get the learners back into the school environment, the physical environment of the school, the built environment, are there a couple of pointers, are, are there some bits of advice you can give us about some of the things that we should be doing on, on our school sites? Yeah, for sure, and well, we're going to do some of that with your little kids in room 35 or whatever it is. So, I mean, engaging the children is a big part, um, but also... One of the things we've learned from COVID is that outdoors is pretty good. Indoors mm. is less good. You're 20 times more likely to be infected indoors than out of doors. Um, you've seen the impact of opening the window on CO2. So looking at learning out of doors, which none of us know about, you know, uh, you know nobody has experience of, of doing learning out of doors. We've got outdoor stuff we do, like on the play equipment or the climbing ball or running around the hopscotch, whatever, but actually going out of doors to do poetry, going out of doors to do project-based learning is new, and I think it's a really good area to involve the children in. So let's get thinking hard about our outdoor learning and what we can do. You know, thinking about what are the sorts of learning we do, how can we put that outside? Reflecting when I was in primary school, we used to all, I'm the head in the school where I was a pupil as a child, and we literally used to go at least twice a week up to the park and learn up in the park, you know. And it's so much better for teachers' well-being as well, isn't it? We're talking about the children, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's also for the staff, isn't it? Because yeah. you breathe and you, you know, you're you're not able, you're not going to be screaming and shouting at anybody because you're going to have to walk over to them and see them. You are, you need to be yeah. an active learner as well. I think there's something around relationships there as well, though. And I think one of the things that we've seen through this time um, with remote learning um, and, and, you know, and also a time of crisis, you know, you tend to develop and build different relationships from the relationship that you might have in terms of that teacher pupil relationship within a, a closed classroom environment. And it's about that learning outside, you know, you have that different relationship. It's about that, that trust. It's about that, the way you communicate. And, and I think that something that's come out of this time um, has in terms of those the relationships that we we built I mean we, yeah we had positive relationships with our learners before but the relationships that we have with our families the relationships that we have with our learners has it, it's, it's hugely positive and I think part of that is as a result of this crisis and as a result of the way that we've communicated with them the result of the the different type of learning um, but I think going forward that is something that I think we, we really need to hold on to and, 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 and keep hold of. But also treasure the fact that you're in Wales. You know, that sense of usness is pretty easy to sustain with, you know, 3,000 years of community, you know, and, and, you know, mutuality in sport and music and, and church and goodness knows what else, you know. You don't get that around the back of New York. And in Wales, there's nothing dangerous. There's no snakes. There's no bears. There's no, you know, you can be out of doors without being eaten. You know, that you, you, you're really lucky. 3,000 years of history and no snakes. What's not to like, you know? Do you know, Stephen, we've, we, we've all sort of upskilled ourselves now. I, th- I think learners are now upskilled in terms of using the um, the hub learning platform and, and staff as well. Do you, and, and there's also been a significant investment in things like Chromebooks. And as you say, you know, children got smartphones, etc. Do you see this becoming an, a natural part of learning? And, you know, as, a part, as opposed to perhaps where 
when I started my career, you'd, you'd, you'd move learners into an IT room. Do you see the day now when we come back where, where kids will just be going and picking up a Chromebook or deciding to do a little bit of work up here, recording, doing this? No, the gene is well out of the bottle for that. I think, Edward, what's come out of this isn't just permeation of ubiquitous technology. It's the children's ability to not be afraid of it. We learn from watching them. And if we don't allow their voices to be part of the guidance in all this, you know, we're missing a trick. So professional development by children for adults is a cracking way to, to show that you trust that agency. But there's also huge power, isn't there, now that I can, I can be doing a piece of work here in school. And then when I, when I get home, that piece of work is now there in the cloud, you know, because previously you'd have to come back into school and access stuff on hard drives. And so this idea now that you've, 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 you've got this, this sort of cloud-based sort of environment in which you can c- carry on with your work and pull things in. I think it's a lot more um, software now where learners can collaborate and add comments to each other. And so I think there's some, some great excitement there. And I, and I suppose, uh, you know, I think I've come back a couple of times you know we're on the cusp now of a, of, a, of a new curriculum for Wales, and, and I think for us not to not to use this experience and for there not to be a legacy from this COVID nineteen experience, because I think it has accelerated, uh, and perhaps we're not having so many sort of formal insets and and talking about the new curriculum. But I wonder if whether the new curriculum just happened through stealth from some of the learning experiences that, that are there, and how technology has enabled us to move uh, learning forward? Yeah, I think, I think a really good word is, is um, symmetry and all that. I mean, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the less exciting model of learning sees that cloud and that conduit as a way of, and I see the word delivering comes up quite often, you know. I mean, you deliver milk, you deliver potatoes, you deliver the mail, you don't deliver learning. You know, so it's got to be a two-way thing. So I think a really interesting challenge is with that infrastructure already in place, a good challenge for the schools is, What's coming up the pipe to us? What am I seeing from the community? What am I seeing from children's learning? Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to draw our conversation with Stephen to a close. I know we could quite easily go on all day. It's been wonderful for us to have the opportunity to discuss a range of topics with you today, Stephen. We've talked in depth about how learning has escaped. And I think we all feel it's really important to ensure we don't allow it to get locked back up again. We've talked about well-being and the importance of the learning environment. And then finally, we've looked at the legacy for our pathway going forward. We discussed many positives such as resilience, new ways of teaching and learning, collaborative and innovative working. It's been an incredibly interesting discussion. Thank you to our school leaders for engaging in conversation today and a massive thank you to Stephen Heppel. Gweithiwn eich bod wedi mwyn hair bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a pheidiwch byth â cholli pennod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.